Sloan, please. Please. Draw too much attention. But I have nowhere to go. They're hunting me. You have to help me. You want my help? Live a normal life. What about the people that need us? What about the fight? The fight is done. We lost. What happened? You were once a great Jedi. The time of the Jedi is over. No leads. Whoever they are, they knew where she would be. They, they were waiting. She needs you, Obi-Wan. We can't trust anyone else. It's Obi-Wan. If Leia is discovered... I can't leave. My duty is to the boy. What about your duty to his sister? She's as important as he is. She'll be better off. I'm not the man you remember. Well, you're going to have to be. I can't leave the boy. This isn't about the boy, and you know it. Past. Move on. Be done with it. You couldn't save Anakin. But you can save her. And what if I can't? Watch his after scraps. Scraps are all we have left. Then we should be hunting bigger prey. He is not yours to find. We are past this third sister. I will not warn you again. You will forget this fixation with Kenobi, or I will relieve you of your duties. Is that clear? Yes, Grand Inquisitor. My pleasure. You think you're droids? It's good manners. You don't need manners when you're talking to a lower life form. Then I guess I don't need manners when I'm talking to you. It's only half. Please, I have a family. One more word, I take it all. Keep moving. And a whole army! No one's coming for you. Welcome to A Conspiracy in the Force, the show where we examine parallel conspiracies in a galaxy far, far away, in a galaxy not so far away. The show is designed as an introduction to modern day conspiracy theories by using Star Wars, one of the most beloved fictional universes, as a point of reference. Let's begin. This episode is titled, Obi-Wan, number one, one, one. This episode will break down episode one of the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series that just dropped last Friday. Since they dropped two episodes at once, this episode today will just cover the first, and Wednesday of this week, there will be an episode on the second. 
I feel it's important to cover each episode individually because every episode has a unique story to tell within the construct of the overall story. So some context to start out with. This series takes place 10 years after the end of the prequels and 10 years before the start of the original trilogy. So that would place Luke Skywalker at about 10 years old at the time of this series. In this era, Obi-Wan is working on his long-term mission of watching over and protecting Luke with the intention of training him whenever he becomes the right age and is starting to become in tune with the Force. 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 Yoda also told him during this time he should start communing with his long-deceased master, Qui-Gon Jinn. The problem for Obi-Wan is that he has to keep his Force abilities to a minimum as not to attract attention and blow his cover. There have been for the last 10 years Inquisitors working for the Empire that are meant to hunt down and kill all remaining Jedi who escaped the Order 66 massacre. So let's get into the episode itself. Self. This episode lines up well with the template laid out by Joseph Campbell for the first of the three parts of the hero's journey, the departure phase. And actually the events here seem to parallel the events of A New Hope pretty similarly as well. Our hero Obi-Wan finds himself in an ordinary world, is called to adventure, refuses the call to adventure, obtains supernatural aid for his quest, and crosses the first threshold. The ordinary world Obi-Wan finds himself in is a solitary existence, working a menial job, collecting a menial pay, and confiding only in a Jawa and his Eopi, a camel-like creature. Now let's describe each of the steps of the hero's journey. The Call to Adventure Three separate calls to adventure happen in this episode. The first is the young Jedi who attempted to befriend Obi-Wan in the desert. The Jedi was presumed to have escaped the Order 66 massacre, which was shown from a different angle at the start of the episode. He was being pursued by Inquisitors across Tatooine and found Obi-Wan, and he was hoping that this great Jedi Master would help him. Refusal of the call. Obi-Wan refuses to help this young Jedi. In his mind, he cannot be detected, as not to blow his mission protecting Luke. In this case, it means abandoning the true nature of a Jedi. Jedi, 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 Jedi. Now the second call to adventure. Ten-year-old Leia is kidnapped from her royal palace on Alderaan. Her parents, well, adoptive parents, Bail and Brea Organa, reach out to Obi-Wan via hologram, begging him to jump into action to save her. He refuses this call as well. In his mind, he believes going off-world will be endangering Luke in his mission. Now the third call to adventure, similarly to the second. This call is preceded by a moment in the town square where Obi-Wan encounters the hanging corpse of the Jedi he failed to protect. He is then visited in person by Bail Organa, who begs him again to help save Leia. This time there is no refusal. He knows what he has to do. He knows what happens to those that he doesn't help. And then we get to the supernatural aids. While Campbell states this part of the journey is where a wise old mentor or wizard helps the hero and gives them supernatural aids for their journey, a little different in this case, where Obi-Wan himself is the master wizard, 
he unburies his lightsaber from the sand to start his new mission. And the episode ends when he crosses the first threshold. He boards a ship off-world to help save Leia, Leia. Now, a lot of these are basic storytelling beats that we've seen time and time again using this Hero's Journey template, but I wanted to go through it here specifically to contest some of the scrutiny I've been hearing about the show so far. Comments ranging from, they're making Obi-Wan too soft, or they're making him look weak. I think it's important to understand where he is coming from in this series. He is somewhat lost and isolated, and he isn't really sure what the right thing is to do. And honestly, I don't think they made him look weak. I think they made him look exactly how he was supposed to in this era, staying hidden, working in the shadows, trusting the plan. Also it's interesting to note that he was unable to commune with Qui-Gon in this episode, so that begs the question of if he was even ever able to commune with Qui-Gon at all up to this point in the story. If he wasn't able to commune with him, or to get in touch with Yoda through the Force, which could have set off the Sith radar. You would assume that Obi-Wan has lost some of his connection to the Force. Now, the apparent parallel to Luke in The Last Jedi is there when you talk about losing your connection to the Force, but we're not going to go there. This series actually makes sense of where the character is at and his motivations and reasoning. Now, as mentioned previously, the parallel to A New Hope is pretty striking, specifically the first half of the movie. Luke is called to adventure, refuses, says he has to stay on the farm, collects a lightsaber, sees a tragic death, which then catapults him off-world over the first threshold. Similarly, Obi-Wan is called to adventure, refuses, says he has to stay on his mission, sees a tragic death, collects a lightsaber, goes off-world, and crosses the first threshold. Interesting parallels. Now just a few other random notes. I can already see with episode 1, a strong racism narrative is being pushed with the Riva character, the Inquisitor named the Third Sister. Now right off the bat before I go any further, I will say I'm a fan of this character, she seems pretty badass. The other two Inquisitors seem to look down on her, especially the Grand Inquisitor. He tells her several times to know her role and not to talk back to his authority. Now I don't think it's coincidental at all that the Grand Inquisitor character has the whitest face out of all characters we've seen in this series. Reva is a black woman. Now, I talked about it on a live stream the other day, but I had always thought that the Empire had a disdain for females in general, which is why they were never in positions of high authority. And so far, this series seems to back up that statement. Another thing we should talk about is Bail Organa telling Obi-Wan that Leia is just as important as Luke and why she needs to be rescued. I'm not really sure how to take this bit of dialogue. In the end, really in the story, it's Luke and not Leia that gets Vader to turn to the light side and save the universe. But also Leia is quite instrumental with the rebellion throughout their fight with the Empire. Even in the sequel era, Leia seems to be of importance and prominence. But let's be honest, throughout all of Star Wars, we're given the impression that Luke is the biggest hero of them all. So I somewhat disagree with Bale here. Now let's talk about droids. 
I've talked a lot on this show and other shows I've been a guest on about the predictive programming inherent to Star Wars when it comes to robots and droids. My thought has, and will always be, that this type of sci-fi wants us to think fondly of droids, as they can help save us in certain situations. Just look at R2-D2 in the original trilogy. In this show, we see young Leia essentially being friends with the droid, and also thanking a droid. Her uppity cousin calls a droid a lower life form. And while he is being pretty self-righteous, I would say he's right. Droids and computer systems and robots are lower life forms. They are. Hell, they aren't even life forms at all. They're not biologically created as humans or as an alien species, so they really shouldn't be on the same playing field as true life forms. But of course, this world is different, and ours too in the future, potentially. Two more minor points. While Obi-Wan is working at his menial job, which looks like a meat-cutting processing plant or something, a co-worker is clocking out for the day and receiving his pay. The droid who pays him only gives him half of what he was owed. When he speaks up about it, he's physically assaulted by the person running the factory. Now this sounds an awful lot like the world we live in today. Money doesn't go far as it used to due to the high inflation. And whenever people push back against the government asking why this is happening and what they can do to curb it, they get metaphorically pushed around and insulted. In the last point, the main kidnapper of Leia, who is portrayed by the creepy-looking flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who actually looks like he has kidnapped children before, says this to Leia after she tells him that her father's going to come rescue her with a whole army. He simply says, no one is coming for you. And isn't that the truth? Many people in our world think that Trump or other politicians or Elon Musk or other people are coming to save them and to take out all the bad people. But that's not how it works. As I've said many times before, God is the only one who can save and provide true salvation, not any mortal men. Amen. Amen. All in all, I thought this was a really great episode and it really looked and felt like Star Wars to me. I'll be interested to see where the story goes from here. Now stay tuned for the episode 2 breakdown on Wednesday. Day. 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 May the Force be with you, and God bless. I hope you have a great Memorial Day with your family.